Our Father, as we open your word now, help us to be able to discipline our minds and our imagination. May the words spoken be that which has been given so that they will not return void to you. Direct us, Lord, in the proclamation of your word. Open our eyes and our ears to hear. We pray that we will nourish our minds with your truth this morning and open our hearts to your love. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Her name is Hannah. The word has a very interesting connotation because Hannah is an offshoot of the word grace. It means someone who is favored. But the favor of Hannah when her parents named her, I'm quite sure that they could not conceive of how this lady would be favored of God once she became a woman, a wife. They could not have envisioned what she would have to endure before she came to the place of her name really becoming the expression of what it was meant. It was suggested that if you live good, if you live a good life, you will receive good. If you receive, live badly, you will receive bad. But Hannah contradicts that. Hannah shows us that it is possible for a good person to experience bad things. And we want to use her life this morning as an introduction to our week of prayer. We want to use her prayer as a platform from which we ourselves can enter into prayer. And you will see how that is done in a few moments. And there are two thoughts that I want to share from Hannah's life this morning. Her pain and her plans. Her pain and her plans. The, the pain of Hannah is seen in verses 1 to 8. And in verse 2, we learn the first thing, that she was childless. That alone is a very difficult thing to endure as a Jewish woman. Because that, being childless, was not something that was looked upon with pity. In the Jewish community, it was looked upon with scorn. So she had to live with that. But I, I glean from Hannah's life that she lived with three pains, three pains, three things with which the modern man lives and must deal with today, and how this becomes an application to your life and mine. I said before, she was childless. This was not done by any physical cause of Hannah. In fact, the words almost scare us when we read them because we are told that the reason she was childless was because that was part of God's design. 
God had closed her womb so that, that, that she was not able to experience what she longed to experience, not only as a young girl, but as a wife and wanting to become a mother. Her barrenness was due to a design that she could not understand. There was a divine design behind her pain. And, and, and listen, listen to what he said. The trial of Hannah, the, what she had to bear was peculiarly heavy. Known only to Hannah as a Hebrew woman. To have no child was not only a disappointment, but it seemed to be a mark of one who was dishonored by God. As unworthy of any part of the lot in the means that were to bring about the fulfillment of the promise. In other words, since the promise was already made, that through a male child, God was going to send someone into the world, Hannah didn't see herself as a part of that because she was barren. She didn't see herself as being able to participate in the divine actions of God because the means by which that child was going to be brought into the world, she could not experience and, and, and in, in the case of Hannah, the trial was aggravated by the presence of Panina. She had mutual competition. It is not my intention to speak on polygamy this morning. But her husband, to compensate for Hannah's childlessness, decided to get another wife. Polygamy is not spoken about in the Bible as being outwardly wrong. But I'm going to tell you what it shows us. That every place where polygamy is mentioned in the Bible, there is problems. Pain. Competition. Hurt. This is what Hannah is going through. Uh, we, we, we see this even in other situations in the, in the Old Testament. So I will not deal with that. I am saying that the design of God was never for that kind of a life. Jesus makes this pretty plain in Matthew 19, that a man is to be married to a woman, not a man and a multiplicity of women. But here was, here was, here was, here was Elkanah. He felt for his wife. He felt some of her disappointments. And in order that he might take care of business for his inheritance, he went out and he brought Panina into the situation. She became a thorn in Hannah's flesh. She rubbed it in. And I suppose the thing that makes this, as I studied this text, the thing that made this so difficult for me to study and go into is that the reason for Hannah's barrenness was not anything that Hannah had done. The reason for her barrenness was because God was behind it. That tells us a little bit of the Christian life, doesn't not? That sometimes when we see barrenness, we better not be too quick to become a judge. It might be the design of God for something greater than before because it was the custom of the day then to have offsprings Elkanah took care of matter the best way 
He knew how. One of the things we're not told about Hannah, as she's going through this, is, is just how she was coping with this. We're told that she cried and so on, but which of us do not shed a tear, a tear now or then? I want you to see something, however, that is even deeper than what Hannah is going through with this competition in the home. She had her personal problem. She had her home problem. But she had an absence of spiritual leadership. This is significant. In verses 12 and 13, we're told that the, 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 the prophet Eli, when he saw Hannah in a posture of prayer, he could not even discern that this was a woman under deep burden. He thought she was drunk. When a spiritual leader is incapable of seeing the pains that others are going through, he comes up with some kind of definition for it that causes more pain than before. Proverbs 18.13 says that whoever answers a matter before they know the reason, to them it is foolish. And Eli did that. Hannah had no spiritual, visible spiritual leadership she could go to for her pains. She could not speak to her husband. And you will see why in a minute. She could not speak to her pastor, quote-unquote. Because even when she got to Shiloh, where she was going to be worshiping, the sons of Eli were there. And what kind of pastors were they? They were using the sheep more than serving the sheep. They were not feeding the flock. They were taking care of wickedness at the very entrance of the church. So for Hannah, the problem was personal. The problem was in the home. The problem was in the church. What a tragedy. What a pain. How many of us, my friends, feel this morning like Hannah, not for our physical life, but for our spiritual life. Hannah was physically childless. Many of us are spiritually childless. Very few of us have had the joy of giving birth, spiritual birth, by sharing the gospel with others so that they can become our spiritual children. There are, there are things and circumstances that have, have caused us to be silent. We cannot be as concerned as Hannah with her physical concern for a physical birth. We live day by day. The, the past year has come and gone. And perhaps years beyond that. And for many of us, we have no spiritual children. We have no spiritual children. The weight of the matter was such with Hannah, verse 7. The weight was so much, her soul was actually dealing with, with, with the trials that she was going through. That the text says she was sad. In the Hebrew, the word is she was depressed. 
She was depressed. What is a wife to do under such circumstances? Grin and bear it? Live under the circumstances? This coming week, we're having a week of prayer. And the week of prayer is intended, my friends, for us to begin to do what Hannah did. Somehow, Anna, Hannah got to the place where she could no longer live with this pain. She could no longer conceal it inside of her. Year after year, she was taunted. Year after year, she was childless. But she did not allow her childlessness to give up on having children. And neither should you and I give up if we have not seen any spiritual birth in our church over the past year. We too should have a plan as to what we are going to do. And the plan we're starting with is a week of prayer. Because that's what Hannah did. We're not told how she developed this. But listen to how the text goes from verse 9 of our text. Then Hannah, one of those days when they went to Shiloh to worship. Year after year, it appears that she would sit and listen. She would listen to the conversation. She would listen to Penina talking about her children and how she was able to, to communicate with them and, and draw pictures with them and teach them the Torah. She listened to all that, and her heart grieved. But then she said, okay, the next time I go to Shiloh, I am going to leave the, the dinner table. I'm going to leave the physical means, and I'm going to go to deal with this thing from a spiritual point of view. And that's where we get her plan. Three things about her plan. Her pain drove her to prayer. Her pain drove her to prayer. Look at it again in verse 9. She was sad. The pain interpreted by Eli was that she was drunk. Because that's how people take care of their pains. That's how people take care of their sorrows. Proverbs chapter 31 tells us this. And Eli thought that was what Hannah was doing. To drown her sorrow, she was drunk. She went to the temple only because that's when people who are drunk, that's the first thing they do. They become religious, spiritual. But no, it was the weight of the pain the weight of her childlessness, the weight of being chanted, the weight of the community. And Hannah, this woman favored by name, by her parents, is looking to God to favor her with what was lacking in her life. Some of you will know the name Merle Haggard. Haggard, I think, is his name. He was a country and western singer, I think. And, and, and um, I went to Prairie, so I don't listen to country and western singers. Uh. But he sang a song that I, I, I used to hear. Living below in this old sinful world, 
hardly a comfort can afford. Striving alone to face temptation sore. Where could I go but to the Lord? Where could I go? Where could I go seeking a refuge for my soul? The burden is so much. There is no human face, no physical attraction can do for what is taking place inside of me. I am burdened because I want spiritual children seeking a refuge for my soul, needing a friend to help me to the end. Where could I go but to the Lord? Hannah, driven, overcome by the weight of her condition, her situation, came to the conclusion that there's only one place to go. One place to go. And that was to God. Verse 10 says, look, look at verse 10. And she greatly depressed, prayed to the Lord. Now that sounds like just, okay, she prayed to the Lord. No, my friends, you know what that word pray mean? It means to stand between. It, it means to be between a need and a solution to the need. And that that. The key to the solution coming over to the need was to seek the one who can do it, the Lord himself. And so Hannah was an intercessor. Hannah went into her closet as it were. And she looked to God by faith. And she looked into the face of God and she said, Oh God, I need a child. Because only God can give life. And so it is, my friends, if we want to see spiritual life in the church, it, has, come, yeah, it has, had, has had to come from God. Only God can give life. Only the Holy Spirit can give life. This is why Jesus said to his disciples, wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit has come, and when the Holy Spirit has come, you're going to be my witnesses. And so when she was praying, not only did she use words, but she used words that could not be heard. <laughs> in fact, I, I missed one thing there. I thought of, of this. No, I didn't miss it. It was in another part of the text. <laughs> I thought only a man could ask this question. When Hannah was depressed, her husband said to her, Am I not more to you than ten sons? Only a man could ask that. He thought if I give her more than the other, that should take care of the matter. Oh, man, we need help. And I mean that. We need help. Because you see, what Hannah was bearing was not physical. It was spiritual and it was emotional. And this good man failed at that point. And which of us cannot confess to that one? She prayed. The failure of her husband, the failure of Pineus, 
the failure of the culture. Hannah said, I can meet all of these if I can get help from God. Some of you have been praying for loved ones for a long time. Hannah didn't stop praying for years. Don't know how many years it was. She just kept on praying. Just kept on praying. Just kept on praying. Overcome by her pain. How many of you sat in front of your television this past week and watched the events in, 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 in from Paris? Didn't it remind you of 9-11? The sadness, the heaviness, the sense that if it happened there, it can happen here. The sense that when, you know, my son and I, Christopher and I, went shopping just before Christmas. I went, we drove, I drove up to, well, he, was, he met me in Beaverton, and we went to um, Washington Square to shop. Because I always like to shop in a mall where you can walk upstairs. Uh, I don't know. Reminds me of Toronto, I guess. And I'm telling you the truth as I stand before you. I thought, I want to be looking out to see where all the exits are, just in case someone decides to start shooting this morning. Now, isn't that terrible? When you live with that kind of fear, thinking that something could happen where you are, but we all live with it now. And the only way we can overcome that, friends, is if we have the covering of God, the absolute control and protection of God, because we have sought Him. The plans of our lives is when we go out and when we come in, we seek God. We never take for granted our going or our coming. Our pains should drive us to God. The burden we carry for our loved ones should drive us to God. My friends, this is what this week is designed to do. Secondly, look at the opulence of her prayer. The opulence simply means the richness, the wealth that you find in her prayer. There are three things that Hannah did in her prayer. Four things. One, she acknowledges God's sovereignty in her prayers. O Lord of hosts. And this is what we need to learn in prayer, friends. By the way, when Hannah was praying, John mentioned this this morning, sometimes you might be praying in your heart. Listen, that's exactly the prayer that God heard. It was not the prayer from her lips that God heard. It was the prayer from her heart. Her lips were moving, but no words were heard. And this is why Eli couldn't understand Do we have to always verbalize? There's a need for it. But don't let your inability to put words together. I always think of the the new Christian who was asked to pray. He was new and he was scared stiff. And all he said was, uh, oh God, this is Jim. You know what these people are asking? And I'm asking you on their behalf. Thank you. Sat down. (laughs) My friends, when we pray to God, we must have the consciousness of the God to whom we are praying. 
Hannah said, you are the Lord of hosts. The word means you are the Lord who controls any invading thing like a host. Any host that can come toward me, I have a Lord who is the controller of it all. She's recognizing that God rules over everything because he is the Lord of hosts. We are not praying to a God who is in competition with any other gods. There is none like him. This is what Hannah is saying when she begins by saying, O Lord of hosts, this woman has a sense of the magnitude of God. She's not, she's not no longer going to be controlled by what pioneers Panina is doing. She's not going to be controlled by the failure of the sons of Eli. She's not going to be controlled by Eli's, Eli's misunderstanding of what she was doing. She is coming to God, and in the presence of God, she becomes more aware of who God is than what they are doing. So she acknowledges the sovereignty of God in prayer. This is going to be brought out again in her dependence. She acknowledges the dependence of God. Listen to what she says. O Lord of hosts, look on your handmaid. It is a little phrase, look on. Oh, dear friends, if we can be aware that God is looking upon what is burdening us, if we can be conscious that God knows the pains we're going through, as it says in Exodus chapter 2, that, that God, when he came to Moses, said, I have heard the cry. They had been crying for 400 years. I have seen the tears. No one else saw that, but God saw it all. And so Hannah, understanding not only the, 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 the majesty of God, she understood the omniscience of God. Look upon. She was asking for mercy. Because mercy in the Bible, my friends, is to be delivered from pain. Mercy is to be delivered from that which burdens us. So when we come to the throne of grace, we are seeking to obtain mercy. We do not go to God simply to complain about others. We go to God to complain about what the pain is in our own hearts, even if it is caused by others. And so she acknowledges her dependence upon God. I find myself at times when I'm praying, In my prayer, I will say to God, um, Lord, will you not do this or do that? And all of a sudden, I say to myself, do you realize that you are trying to instruct God? <laughs> do you realize that you are telling God as though he doesn't know? You see, my dependence upon God is to acknowledge what is. It is not to inform God about what is. It's to acknowledge it. Listen to what she says in her prayer as she addresses God in humility. She addresses God in humility. She calls herself, in the, in the newer translation, a maidservant. In the older translation, a handmaid. She's saying that I am the work of your hands and you are not going to despise the work of your hands, but this is a sign of humility. Because the word for servant there, the English word is an unfortunate word. It is not a servant. It is a slave. 
There's a difference between a servant and a slave. A slave has no options. A slave does not have any say in the matter. A servant can. But not a slave. She says to God, I come to you in the humbleness of my own frailty. I am but a handmaid. And if I'm a handmaid, it means that you are the one who has made me. I am the works of your hands. And so, oh God, I come to you now. And I acknowledge not only who you are, but I acknowledge who I am. And I am asking you to look upon my pain. You see my tears. You hear the utterances of my heart, not in arrogance, not in demand, but in humility. And my friends, in in Isaiah 66, God said, the person that I look to is the person who comes to me in humility. Isaiah 66, too. She addresses God in humility. But fourthly, she addresses God in submission. Listen to her prayer again. Oh God, if you give me a man-child, a son, I am going to give him back to you and he's going to serve you all the days of his life. What is Hannah doing? Hannah is saying, even when God answers prayers, he answers it for his own glory, not for Hannah's. She was not going to use God's answer to get back at Pania. Panina, I should say. She wasn't going to say to her, after she gave birth to a son, <laughs> I, 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 you know, I thought, yes, should I do that? You know, she wasn't going to say, nah, 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 nah. She wasn't going to use prayer to get back at, ha- at, 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 at her rival. She realizes from Isaiah 48, 10 and 11, Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction for my own sake. For my own sake, says God twice, I do it. For, for how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. Jesus gives us another sign of that in what we call the Lord's Prayer. At the end of the Lord's Prayer, it says, Lead us, provide for us, for thine is the glory. When we pray, my friends, we do not pray so that we can consume it upon our own lust. We pray so that the name of God will not be profaned. I want spiritual children because this world believes that the church is useless. And I want God to bring men and women into the kingdom of God through my life. That he will change them and change the society. In 1905, during the great Welch Revival, it is said that for one week, judges in that part of the world wore white gloves. White gloves are worn when there are no cases to be tried. The church was under God's direction. There was a revival. Wouldn't we like to see that today? 
What would the ALCU do? If there were no cases to be tried. And I'm going to tell you, friends, it is my belief as I stand before you here. I believe that if you and I had the concept as Hannah, that God is sovereign and we go to him in humility, that the ALCU would not be able to stand up to their accusation against the church. They couldn't. Because God says, no weapon that is formed against us shall prosper. And we can believe God. We, we, we can go to God acknowledging his sovereignty, our dependence, our humility, our submissiveness to God. All these things are in, important. But friends, ultimately, when God answers, we want to give God the glory. We want to give God the glory. <laughs> Lastly, very quickly, I want you to see her optimism in prayer. Her prayer was optimistic. <laughs> so, someone says, the only person who tells you, cheer up, things could be good, is the one with whom things are not bad. <laughs> Hannah was not like that. Hannah was able to say, cheer up. Look at what the text says. So she went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. She was able to be absolutely confident that not only was she heard in heaven, but that God was going to answer on earth. The expectation, the optimism, that is what prayer should do. For faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. In Psalm 42, the, the psalmist says this, Why are you in despair, O my soul, and why are you disquieted, disquieted in me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, listen, who is the health of my countenance. Our very countenance become something inviting when we have the confidence that God has heard and God will answer. Oh, I hope that the ladies who are meeting on Tuesday mornings, that the missionaries in whatever part of the world they are will feel the impact of the ladies and the men praying in Sotoville. That they will know that when they are facing a battle, there are people here who are ready. And my friends, I can tell you of stories. When I was a student, I used to hear it from missionaries who will tell the stories. One day I was doing this, and all of a sudden, something happened. And the missionaries would come home, and they'd be telling the story of how things happened. And people would go to them and say, was this a certain time when? The, when the, and they would say, yes. How did you know? God laid it on my heart. God laid it on my heart. If, if, if we can have the confidence in God that when we come to prayer, we are not making belief that someone is hearing us. We know someone is hearing us. What's the evidence of her, of her optimism? She gave birth to a son. And she named him Samuel because I ask, I ask. Remember what I said, that word ask, used three ways in the, in the Bible. It is asking on a level that one is on par. That is, Jesus can ask on the level because he's, he's equal with God. But you and I, when we ask, we ask from the lower to the higher. And we ask in petition Jesus never had to do that. She was noble in her spirit. 
She, in the spirit of endurance, Hannah kept her sail being blown by the Spirit of God toward the throne of God. And God gave her what she asked for because what she asked for was not so that she consume it on her own lust, but that she would glorify God. See what God can do? See what God can do? I told you this story before, but I'll close with it. The mother of Hudson Taylor, great missionary to China, just turned China upside down until Mao Zedong decided that they were becoming too powerful. But Hudson Taylor was not a believer. Brought up in a Christian home, but his mother was a prayer warrior. And Hudson Taylor's mother would pray and pray for Hudson and pray for Hudson. And one day, Mrs. Taylor had to go away. And while she was visiting, God impressed upon her to rise from the table where she is, excuse herself, and she went out into the garden and started to pray. At that very moment, Hudson at home was struggling, reading a a gospel tract that was left. And he was reading it in the tract. God was using that to open Hudson Taylor's heart to spiritual truths. And Hudson struggled and struggled. And while he was struggling there, his mother was interceding there. Unknown to her what was happening, unknown to him what his mother was doing. And Hudson Taylor came through to victory that day. With excitement, he ran to his, ran to his sister Elizabeth. He said, I want to tell you what happened. God has saved me. I'm a child of God. And I want you to promise me that when mother comes home, you will leave it for me to tell her. I don't want you to tell her. Let me tell her. She agreed to that. And mother was coming home, and she, 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 um, her sister, his sister ran to the door. Mother is home, Hudson. Mother is home. And Hudson was running to his mother, and his mother say, said, Hudson, Hudson, you have given your heart to Jesus. And he got angry. He said to his sister, I ask you not to tell mother. And her mother said, his mother said, she didn't tell me. God confirmed it in the garden. God confirmed it in the garden. Hannah left the place and started to do what she never did before. Her face lit up with spiritual optimism. And she was rewarded by God answering her heart unexpressed through her lips, but reached the throne of God. And a son was born. And that man became God's voice to a nation. My friends, let me suggest to you that God is not going to send angels to take care of matters on earth. He's going to send men 
and women. Some might be sitting right in our midst this morning, but they will come to that place because you dare to believe God. That even though we don't see what we want to see, we are not going to sit at ease. We don't want to be spiritually childless. There are needs in our church, and we don't want those needs to just come and go. We want to be so concerned that it drives us to our knees. And then our friends, when God answers, we will rejoice together. We will celebrate the goodness of God together. And we will get the joy. And God will get the glory. Let's pray. Father, use this word as you see fit to awaken us to the plan that Hannah had. This woman was named Hannah because they wanted God to favor her. And God favored this woman by bringing into the world a son named Samuel. Ask of God. Oh God, I pray that you will give us spiritual offsprings. May we, may we be ready this week. We don't know who God is going to bring in our path that needs to hear, but as we have been praying, that's how God will answer. Not if we don't pray. And so I pray that this week, Lord, there will be people here who are going to say, God, I have lived childless for a long time, no more. Oh, God, I've been asking you for my, my son, my daughter, my husband, my wife, and I will ask you now as I've never asked before. And I want you to lighten my face, to change my countenance, because I am optimistic that God is going to work. Here our prayers this morning as we sing this song be thou my vision O Lord of my life give us that vision we pray beginning right now